Well, hello and welcome to this edition of the IFS Zooms In, where I will be joined by Jack Britton, Associate Director at the IFS, who leads a lot of our work on higher education. This is a perfect moment to be thinking about that, as recently uh, so many young people have got their A-level results, slightly strange A-level results this year, because no A-levels were actually sat, but these results were, uh, were modulated by teachers and created by the, um, by the regulator Ofqual and then given to the students uh, who will now, like any other cohort, go into the universities, into the labour market with a set of A-level grades, despite never having actually set, sat any of those A-levels. So Jack and I are going to talk about how those um, how those grades were come to the extent to which we might think that what ended up happening was fair or otherwise uh, who might have gained and who might have lost from that and indeed whether we could have done anything differently. So, Jack, perhaps the best place to start, and this isn't straightforward, I realise, um, is just to give us a little overview of how these uh, the set of A level grades were arrived at. As I said, no one sat any A-levels, and yet all of these A-level students have got their grades. Hi, Paul. Yeah, so the system was quite complicated, as you've alluded to. Um, It starts with schools deciding what grades to allocate to their students. Um, They then rank their students within each grade band. So if it said three of their students were going to get A's at A-level, they'd then rank those students one, two, three, within the A band, and they submit that to Ofqual, who then regulate the overall distribution of scores to ensure that the school isn't just saying everybody's going to get an A and uh, we end up with loads and loads of inflation of grades. So the Ofqual then take the distribution submitted by the school and uh, typically, or in most cases, downrate it towards what they think is a reasonable, um, a reasonable distribution for that school the year. So uh, there's some difference between what the grades the school will say the students are going to get and what they actually end up with uh, once they've been through this off-call regulation. What information do off-call use to uh, determine what the the right set of grades are for a school? So there are two main things. The first is the previous attainment of students in that subject at that school. Um, They use for A-levels the three previous cohorts of students and for GCSEs uh, the previous two cohorts Um, and the other thing is the distribution of prior attainment of the people actually doing the exams so uh, for the A-levels they look at the GCSE distribution of the people doing those uh, exams and combine that as I said with the previous cohorts of data. So the the results within a sixth form are moderated in part looking at the history of results in that sixth form. So if that sixth form has tended to get, say, 20% A grades in a particular subject, then probably will end up with something suggesting that it's it's around, assuming they've got the same prior attainment for this cohort of students, then they'll get something like 20% of their students getting A grades this time around. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So um, you're very much bound by what the 
previous cohorts have done. So if, if there were no students in the previous cohorts getting A stars and you have similar GCSEs to those previous cohorts, then you're very, very unlikely to end up with an A star after this uh, regulation. Which might come out with a, and I think this is going to be, you know, the flavour of a lot of this conversation, which might look sensible overall, but it may well be unfair on the occasional star pupil who turns up at a sixth form, which hasn't had very many star pupils in the past. But one of the things that you said is that they use the prior attainment, the GCSE attainment, to um, determine what looks like a sensible set of results for any particular sixth form. But they don't associate that with individual students, do they? So if I go to a sixth form and I've got a bunch of A stars at GCSEs, Ofqual aren't using that to help them determine what I'm going to get at A level. It's just part of the background information about that cohort in the sixth form. That's right. So um, there's no individual level assessment on the basis of your prior attainment, but the prior attainment of the cohort as a whole is used. So if your A star stellar grades from before will count towards the overall adjustment made to the school, but it won't affect your adjustment individually. Um, and that actually can, can reap some havoc in the system with, um, with some people with very good prior attainment who got a decent prediction from their school ending up being heavily downrated. And those, those pupils are going to end up with huge question marks about how on earth this has happened to them, because it just does seem quite unfair in those cases. So for most uh, for, for most students, the um, Ofqual are using this combination of the uh, ranking that the uh, teachers the um, that the school has given them and this background information. But but what happens if you're uh, in a group of just three or four students? So, so the the rules are a bit different in the cases of small cohorts, which which creates some interesting. Um, uh, subplots to all of this. Um, so if, if you're in a cohort of five or fewer students doing that subject in that school or sixth form, um, the Ofqual just accepts the grades that were submitted by the teachers entirely. Um, then there's some middle ground of, of five to 15 students in that, in that area. Um, uh, it's sort of a weighted average between the teacher's predicted grades and the off-qual regulated grades and then above 15 students they just use the uh, the off-qual regulated grades which which of course draw on the teachers rankings so yes in small uh, cohorts you end up just using the teachers grades so and, and given that we know that um, systematically teachers um, are over optimistic that uh, if um, if we'd simply gone with the grades that teachers had awarded we would have had uh, much higher uh, grades than usual. Um, that's quite an advantage if you happen to have been doing uh, a subject in which there weren't many other people at your school doing that subject. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So we're seeing teachers being over-optimistic, which isn't at all surprising in terms of uh, uh, how the grades look compared to previous cohorts. So it looks like there'd be a lot of grade inflation if teachers were right, which seems probably a little uh, implausible. Um, and uh, so, yes, yeah, so, so lots of students are being downgraded, but in the cases where you're in a very small cohort, for example, two people studying music, um, the teacher grades are used exactly as they were sent in. So, um, so you end up with people in smaller cohorts not having as much downgrading as, as, uh, as people in larger cohorts. 
And it's interesting you use the example of music because I think music is the subject with the biggest increase in um, in grades because that that that's a subject where lots of people are doing it in pretty small groups. Yeah, that that wasn't a coincidence. I, I knew that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Uh, but this is also one of the reasons, isn't it, that um, that uh, students' independent schools seem to have done particularly well because they're more likely to be in smaller groups of that kind. Exactly. That so that's the big uh, one of the big headlines from all of this. It's that independently educated students have seen the biggest rises in grades on average, um, much bigger than in other areas, particularly um, compared to to sixth form colleges. Um, which have not really seen much grade inflation, whereas there's been pretty big grade inflation in, in independent schools. And it does seem that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's largely driven by this, this kind of small cohort problem um, that Ofqual, um, yeah, they don't adjust at all when there's small numbers of people. Um, so there are question marks there about whether they should have done things a little bit differently and, and maybe tried to think about pooling across more subjects within these small co- uh, schools or maybe they could have pulled across different uh, independent schools to try and get around this problem but they chose it to do it this way and, and it's ended up with this uh, with this grade inflation this seems particularly unfair people's independent schools do better anyway they clearly have more resources expended on them and they're now getting an additional benefit from being in small classes because they just get uh, the grades that their teachers um, predicted uh, and indeed, as you said, uh, uh, sixth form colleges um, have, relative to all the other um, all the other uh, uh, types of schools, um, seen the least increase in their grades, and that's presumably directly down to the fact that they are much less likely to have small groups because sixth form colleges tend to have hundreds and hundreds of um, uh, uh, students in each year. Yeah, I think that's. It's hard to know exactly why that is, just taking taking the numbers that have been put out, but it probably is because of that. I I don't know whether there is also differential patterns in overprediction within sixth forms versus schools. I mean, one could imagine a story where there was less overprediction in sixth forms because, um, you know, they're big, teachers know less about their individual pupils, um, and maybe, uh, you know, there's less of a sort of um, individual-based approach to prediction in this ca- these cases versus um, schools where you really know pupils well and want to do them want them to do well and so kind of are likely to give them a nice uh, nice predicted grade. So there could be that kind of story going on, but it probably is mostly the uh, the form of those things. And indeed, sixth form colleges. I mean, they are, as it were, the professionals at teaching sixth formers. I mean, they're. Uh, I mean, they may actually have a better handle on the um, the actual likely grade. Uh, distribution than that you get in smaller um, smaller six forms. Plausibly, um, although it's worth remembering that um, <laughs> this prediction thing is not um, not unusual to the to A level uh, teachers at all because they do it every year for universities. So um, there's a, there's quite a lot of uh, predicting going on in this uh, in this part of education. Absolutely. It, it, it's, I mean, do, do we know why the um, all of this has happened at this Point. I mean, given that this was based, you know, that you know, no one actually had to mark any A-level scripts this year, um, and this is all based on a sort of statistical um, uh, statistical analysis. Would it not have been possible? Do we know to have kind of made these things available some considerable time earlier and actually had more time for um, uh, for people to appeal and uh, understand what's going on? Yeah, that would have probably made sense. I mean, there was there was a consultation that went out. 
um, by Ofqual in in around April, I think. Um, so they they had to respond to that. Um, teachers obviously had to spend time thinking about how they were going to um, predict grades, um, and there was quite a there was a lot going on in schools that took a fair bit of time to get to try to get that uh, get that right. Um, and so there are there are pretty good reasons why it took a long time. Maybe waiting until mid August in this case just feels a bit like that's what we've always done with grades so let's do it again um uh, it seems like it would have been pretty sensible to try and rush this through uh, a bit quicker um but um that could have led to even bigger errors uh, in the process so, um so uh, maybe it was the right thing so that's kind of broadly how it was done i mean the teachers are ranking within their subjects within their schools and ofqual are making use of historic data on performance within the school and, and and the cohort's performance and it's a bit different if you're in a very small um, group and we've ended up haven't we with a set of uh, results which overall look you know broadly sensible it's the similar distribution to the past on the whole uh, people have done a bit better uh, 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 than before we've got more a grades and more a stars where is it that where, where does the unfairness happen in this? I mean, you referred there to um, uh, errors occurring. What, 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 what do you mean by that? Well, I, I, I'm I'm sort of drawing on anecdotal evidence here a bit, but but uh, yeah, a friend of mine is a is a senior teacher at a school who uh, told me that in one of their subjects, they submitted grades of A star, three A's, and and three C's, and they ended up getting um, A star, two A's, three C's. And a U. So one of the A's got downgraded to a C, and one of the C's got downgraded to a U. Um, so that person with who was predicted a C grade by um, by their by their school um, ended up coming out with a U, while other people who were also predicted a C grade ended up getting a C. Um, so that kind of situation just seems really really harsh on that student. I don't think there's any other way of putting it, um, and it is just a, a quirk of of the model and the way things are done and there's an appeals process to try and back that up but um that kind of thing just feels uh feels not quite right and, and one has seen um, other examples of of, of of exactly that and um uh you know some six forms which have you know, had very few if any use in the past of being given some because of the way that the statistical uh the statistical model Works so you end up with an overall distribution which looks which looks fine, but uh, but individual pupils being really really quite harshly treated in order to meet that statistical um, distribution. Um, Has the government put in place? I mean, what presumably people can appeal this at this point? Yeah, of course. So um, it was always said that that they would be able to appeal um, and. Uh, and of course, they are also have the option to resit uh, exams in uh, in the autumn. So if they're really unhappy with their grades, they uh, they can take that route. Um, but the difference uh, now compared to when this was all formed is that uh, following Scotland's announcement that uh, that they weren't going to use the the regulated grades at all, the government announced that uh, in England uh, students could refer to their mock grades um, as part of their appeal process and actually. Um, Sort of triple lock their grades by saying, um, you uh, you can get take the, the highest grade of your mock and your um, your regulated grade in the end. Um, so the mock grades, uh, 
yeah, that's just added a, another layer of complexity to all of this. Um, but but really, it seems like a very half-baked policy that's uh, that's not been particularly well thought through. Well, it was certainly rushed in at the very last moment, wasn't it? It doesn't indicate a, uh, it doesn't indicate a government or a um, education department which is uh, uh, fully uh, fully prepared for something they've been aware of um, you know, for several months now. So the thing about mocks is it's not it's not like there is a standard thing that goes on in schools at all um, uh, across the whole country. The different different schools treat mocks very differently, and um, you know, there is a concern that schools would be able to pull out some evidence that teach that uh, that their students were getting A grades on some papers that they set. That whether or not you call that a mock, um, that or called that a mock at the time, um, is going to be really open to debate. And so I think there's there's really some wiggle room in here that if you if you're desperate to appeal and can find the right evidence, um, uh, you could end up getting getting quite a big change to your grade and you know on the whole that maybe just seems reasonable I mean the example that I gave of somebody getting a predicted C um, and then downrated to a U presumably they got predicted a C because they didn't they didn't do too badly in any kind of mock assessments that they had with their teachers but um, it, there is a concern that it's again going to be certain types of people who maybe um, can really game this uh, to their advantage um, and uh, yeah that that's one of the big concerns with all of the with all of this really that this end up creating more inequality in, in results so when you say certain types of people you mean that uh, those with um, you know parents who are more engaged possibly more middle class possibly more resourced to go through the whole appeals procedure possibly yeah and you can imagine a world where parents say but didn't you take a test back in uh, <laughs> back in October where you got an A oh yeah that's right we should go and tell the school about that and you know I don't know exactly how it's going to work because it's so little has been said about this, but um, because the mock grades are not standardised, it does feel that it's uh, open to um, to a lot of interpretation and possibly uh, certain people gaining from that. Uh, in terms of gainers and losers from this, is there any evidence, for example, that because obviously for most pupils, what really matters here is going to be where they are ranked by their teacher. If there's a cohort of 20 of them, are you ranked, you know, are you ranked? Five, ten, or fifteen is going to really matter. Is there any evidence that um, there is any bias in, in in that teacher ranking, in the sense that they might rank, I don't know, girls more generously than boys, or middle class kids more generously than working class kids, or white kids more generously than black kids? I mean, do we have any um, do we have any evidence of, of, of bias in teacher assessments? There is there is a bit of evidence in that. Yes. Yeah. So of course, when they when they put out their initial plans for for this process um, did did cite some papers um, that that formed their thinking about this. Um, there is uh, there's some evidence that um, teachers. Well, so I think in terms of looking at predicted A level grades and um, actually realised A level grades, the best place to go probably is um, is the UCAS system where you actually see this every year. And I think the first point is that teachers are pretty bad at predicting grades. Only about 15%, I think, of, uh, of grades that they predict or students get accurately predicted grades. Um, so they're often over predicting or under predicting for students just because it's a really difficult thing to do. 
Um, so that's taken from a paper by, by Jill Winus and Richard Murphy uh, from, that was put out earlier this year. So they say that it's really hard for teachers to predict. Um, so there is going to be a lot of noise in the process. Um, but in terms of evidence on biases within certain subgroups, there's a lot less. So there's a paper by our colleague uh, Ellen Greaves um, with Simon Burgess, which, which looked at predicting grades um, for year six SATs, and they found some evidence that teachers um, had some bias against um, certain ethnic minorities. Um, so they were more likely to underpredict for, for certain uh, minority groups. Um, so there's definitely some evidence out there that teachers are um, a not that good at predicting, and that's that's because it's hard. And b in some cases there's systematic bias. Um, so Ofqual tried to defend against this by really um, reminding <laughs> reminding schools in the process about um, about this evidence and um, trying to get them to really think hard about uh, any any subconscious biases that they might have. I think I think it is true um, that it in some groups it's going to be harder to predict for others um, because you know in some cases people will follow quite odd paths to their exams. Um, you know, some people will work really hard all the way through. Some people will not do any work and then suddenly get going and really put loads in and do really well. And in that latter case, it, it's just way harder to predict that you're actually going to do that. You know, there's going to be lots of teachers out there who are saying, oh, we've got three really bright kids here, none of whom are doing any work. You know, one, we know one of them probably is going to start working and do really well, but we don't know which one it is. So we're going to predict them all <laughs> a fairly low grade because we can't give them all a high grade prediction. So, um, so that type of thing is going on as well. So there may be kind of bias things that look like biases that end up coming out in the data, but you know, actually, it's just to do with the difficulty to predict. Should should Ofqual have done anything different? Um, it feels like there are some examples, at least, where they could have used some more, um, uh, they could have adjusted their statistical models to avoid some of these oddities of moving people down from a C to a, a U just to meet the statistical distribution. I think so. I, I, but it, I, I really want to emphasize that it's just, it's a really hard exercise. I think, you know, I said to you this off air, but you know, when we're doing kind of academic research in this kind of area, we often end up with problems where we don't have data for a certain year or something, and and you end up having to do some crazy imputation that just <laughs> is a bit nuts. I, I still kind of can't believe that they were given the job of actually doing this imputation and had to figure it all out, and it's it's really challenging. So I think I think I should start this answer by saying that and really emphasizing that this is just a really hard thing to do. I think it was right to announce that they were going to do some sort of standardization, even though that it, it, it can be really harsh in some cases, but they did want to put some um, constraints on, on what teachers might say about the grades of their students. I know that teachers um, are people with great integrity and, but ultimately if, if they're told that they can just say anything, then we would end up with, with very, we could end up with really, really substantial grade inflation. So the standardization process needed to be there um, in some way or form. Um, the way that they've done it, I think there, it's, 
as it's turned out, there's there were probably a couple of things that they could have done differently, and probably a couple of things that people raised in advance that they could have listened to uh, that they could have done differently. Not me, I should say. I didn't um, raise anything, um, so I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to speak after the fact and say, oh, they, obviously they should have done this. Um, but yeah, it seems to me that the uh, the small the small cohort thing, maybe they could have uh, maybe they could have pulled across more uh, more subjects um, in some way, but. Maybe that would have created bigger problems. I mean, there's a 320-page document produced by Ofqual, which I've been trying to get my head head through since coming back from uh, from paternity leave. <laughs> um, so, I mean, maybe they tested that and uh, and it wasn't the right thing to do either. So, I don't want to be I don't want to sit here and say, oh, this, they should have done this, they should have done that. I think the standardisation was always going to create some losers, and ultimately, um, they did the right thing by saying you can rush through a reset in October in in autumn. Um, and you can appeal these things, and we'll have a very open appeals process. Um, they were just working in a really hard scenario, really. Yeah, I mean that's. Um, uh, and it would have been a lot easier if these results had come out a few weeks earlier in terms of going through the appeals process. Because if you're a young person who's just um, you know was hoping to go to a particular university, uh, you've missed out on your grades because of this process. Um, it's all a bit late, isn't it? I think that's right. So I was referring really to the off-qual standardization methodology. In terms of the timings, it it's kind of it does seem a bit um, a bit crazy to to have the same day that all the results come out is all a load of the allocations to university being made like like the grades were actually the grades that people had took exams for. Um, so yeah, the timing the timing of that has not been right. But I'm not sure that was off-qual's choice. Could they have been, um, obviously grades went up somewhat, and as you said earlier, some of the subjects, grades went up quite a lot. Um, music and I think German was another one, and design and technology another, where there are quite a lot of small small groups. And in those subjects where there are big groups, and I think English is the one where there was the least um, increase, because nearly all of that will be done in, in, in big groups. But perhaps they could have been a little bit more generous for some of those others. So we'd have a bit more grade inflation, but at least we wouldn't have these dramatic differences between the, the small groups and the big groups. Yeah, perhaps. I I think that um, the decision to not weight across subjects um, in terms of, or, or even weight across um, education providers um has has yeah resulted in these very large differences in in inflation within across different subjects yeah. and and yeah that um it's yeah. it's a shame <laughs> um i think that's that's probably the biggest the biggest problem in the in the data isn't it yeah so would there have been a way so as you said there was this this significant increase in results in independent schools I mean, would, would there be a way of sort of ex post um having got that then sort of moderating some of that down so that you ended up with um, similar changes across the different types of provider i think they probably could have done that um i guess that people are always going to be able to cut the data to find winners and losers and and um it is it is quite easy to say oh well you should have you should have fixed these distributions or fixed those distributions but there's just so much going on here that it was it was a bit <laughs> it's a really difficult problem, and of course, there's always different unfairnesses, isn't there? I mean, we're we're, we're judging all this against, as it were, the benchmark, which is um, you know what uh, what people actually would have got in their exams. But I mean, the exams aren't fair on everybody. I mean, some people just do very badly on the day, 
um, or aren't very good at exams or what have you. So we may have a, you know, in a sense, a different set of um, unfairnesses in other years, which we can't see so so clearly. I mean, we're judging this against, uh, you know, uh, something itself is very flawed. I think that's right in the sense that um, exams are tough. Um, they they're just uh, often taken on one day and that's it that's your grade and um, uh, that means that people who teachers really think are good and are on a great trajectory and then just have a bad day end up um, doing a lot worse and maybe getting into a, a lower ranked university than they would have done otherwise and you know what's really interesting here is the sorting of students into universities is based much more on what teachers think about their students rather than how the students did in their exams um, and that might actually um, mean that you end up with people who are better fit to the to the university courses that they're on. If the if the if the teachers rate them really highly, but then they just have a bad day um, and end up going to a worse place than they would have done otherwise, um, then they're being replaced by somebody less highly rated by teachers, but uh, who did really well. And um, yeah, maybe this maybe teachers are actually better at judging. Um, the sort of potential of kids than uh, than these exams are uh, able to do. Um, so yeah, this is kind of an interesting experiment in that sense. But whether you're actually going to be able to tease out the uh, the signal from all of the noise that's going on at the moment um, might be a, is a slightly harder uh, slightly harder question. Well, indeed, and as you say, this this whole this whole episode is so incredibly complex and matters so much to to young people. It matters for what university they go to, and of course, employers then look at A level grades. Um, because, you know, most young people be applying to their jobs whilst they're still at university. They won't have much information from how they've done at university. So A-level grades really matter. And I really liked your sort of um, your comparison between what's happening here and the sort of thing that, you know, you and others at the IFS are doing all the time, which is imputing information and predicting uh, data, which, you know, when you're doing academic work, it works out on average because on average you're right and on average um, this this distribution was right, but for individuals, it's going to be wrong, and for many many individuals, it's going to be wrong, even if it's correct on average, and that's going to create um, new difficulties for them or advantages for them um, in later life. I think that's right. I, I think another thing to raise here is is not just to talk about you know what grades you would have got versus what you were actually ended up with through this process, but it's also the fact that these. Uh, young people have just have missed out on so much school um, and ultimately they've ended up not taking the exams um, that they would have taken. Now some people will be delighted with that because they had to do loads of revision for chemistry or maths or something and they didn't have to do it and they still got their A's or their A stars and you know they walk away happy but actually you know from my own perspective I don't know what I was doing in GCSEs but in A levels I really worked hard for those exams and that's that's where I sort of got first got my experience really of learning how to knuckle down and um and do revision properly um because so much of this is an art form of how to how to actually revise and those are skills that I really needed in university beyond sort of the fact that I actually learned some stuff in the process it's the learning of the um learning of how to do exams is is a really useful thing and so you know, it's, it's worth remembering that there's this all of this cohort of people going into university this year who are probably less, quite a lot less well prepared than they would have been 
otherwise. Um, and so that's another kind of big loss that, that's going on here, aside from all of the mis, misprediction stuff. Well, that's an important point. And that, and that, dear listener, of course, is how Jack got his job at the IFS. But um, the... Uh... Um, it's probably uh, it's probably time, I think, to draw this um, episode to uh, to a conclusion. I think what I take from this conversation, I, I think first, I think it's really important to be clear about this. This was an incredibly difficult job that Ofqual got landed with to come up with a full distribution of results for all of these young people, which matter so much on the basis of the information they had uh, in front of them. They came up with a distribution which overall. Uh, makes sense. Uh, but there are some problems with where we've got to. I think the, the way in which those in small groups uh, have uh, uh, have really done well out of this, and that's particularly advantaged independent schools, is clearly problematic. And I think uh, as, as some of the examples we've also heard, it's problematic that the statistical model seems to have been uh, used um, so uh, without um, perhaps without human intervention to uh, to get round some of the obvious um, injustices where uh, pupils have been downgraded um, significantly or, uh, or or six forms have been um, uh, have had uh, pupils um, being given very low grades where they haven't had very many of those um, historically just to meet the um, just to meet the statistical. Um, distribution. So what we've had is uh, something which looks overall uh, reasonable, but which is going to have created uh, many individual um, injustices. Um, Don't forget, of course, that uh, this is all um, against that benchmark of whatever they might have got in A-level being in some sense the right um, answer. And of course, that is itself a fairly um, uh, a fairly random kind of way in some senses of, uh, of distinguishing uh, young people. Anyway, for all of those of you who have uh, recently got your A-level grades, I hope that went well. Um, if it didn't, don't forget that there are plenty of ways to appeal against that, particularly if you've done significantly worse uh, than your record would have suggested or that your school thought you were going uh, to do. But whatever happens, there are many ways through uh, the education and labour market uh, from wherever you start. Anyway, if you enjoyed um, this episode, uh, please hit subscribe and rate us. And you can always stay on top of our latest work by visiting www.ifs.org.uk. Stay well, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon.